something is happening. More and more people around the globe are realizing that UFO sightings are real and they're not going away. We'll take you to one of the world's leading experts in UFOs, Jaime Masson. We traveled to Mexico and interviewed Jaime and his staff. We saw unbelievable things. We'll take you inside and show you that incredible footage. Jose Escamillo will show us what might be hidden structures on the lunar surface. We'll take you into the lab with Dr. Roger Lear and Stephen Colbert and examine evidence, physical evidence, of actual UFO encounters. We'll also show you samples that we took from a sphere that supposedly fell from space and crashed into a farmer's field. At the citizens' hearing on UFO disclosure in Washington, D.C., six congressmen got to hear unbelievable things that are actually happening in the skies over the earth. UFOs are as real as the airplanes flying overhead. We have a, a space uh, force. It's in existence. We sat down with Stephen Bassett, the organizer of the conference, and discussed it with him. There's an extraterrestrial presence from elsewhere engaging the planet Earth. We also talked to Chris Putman, co-author of the best-selling book, Exo-Vaticana. We sat down with Chris and asked him to explain what the Vatican relationship is with the extraterrestrial phenomenon. The data says that more people believe in E.T. than believe in God. We also interviewed Dr. David Jacobs, who took us inside the alien abduction phenomenon. Dr. Jacobs also weighs in on what he thinks the endgame might be to the alien abduction phenomenon. Listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gons. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Canary Cry Radio. Wherever you are on this planet, whether you're coming in on iTunes, on your iPhone or iPad, or maybe even Android, if you're one of those type of people. Or, you know, if you're old school, you're just on the website, downloading it straight from your desktop. However you're doing it, thanks for listening. My name is Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to another episode. This is episode number 58. 58. And today's guest should be no stranger to anyone who listens to this show or shows like ours. He's the author of several books, including the Nephilim Trilogy, Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, Alien Interviews, The Cosmic Chess Match, On the Trail of the Nephilim, and most recently, Further Evidence of Close Encounters. And he's also the producer of the Watchers DVD series, and he's the intrepid host of Acceleration Radio it's on every week at 6 p.m. Pacific on Fringe Radio Network. And he was our guest way back on episode 11 of Canary Cry Radio. And he's back. back. in the day. Yeah. Wow. He's back. Ladies and gentlemen, our gallant guest for this episode, L.A. Marzuli. L.A., how are you doing? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. There he is. All right. Good to have you back, man. It's been a long time since we've talked to you before. You know, that was way back in the day. We're, we're new people now. We've grown a little bit. We've, <laughs> we've all been on uh, our separate adventures. So um, we're glad to have you back on the show. Pleasure's all mine. All right. So let's jump into it. Now, sure. I know that you've been uh, going on some trips here, hunting for the Nephilim and evidence thereof and i know you know you've been all over the place once in a while you even come a little bit close to certain areas of the world that are very close to me in my life 
one of them being Peru. And so you went on a little adventure there. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Peru is incredible. Um, and the impetus behind that, uh, the backstory is um, I was looking at, uh, um, I read a book by David Childress and Brian Forrester called uh, Cranial Deformation Elongated Skulls. And um, uh, I looked up Brian uh, on the internet, of course, and there was a bunch of YouTube videos. And he was in a place called Paracas at this little museum called the Paracas History Museum by Senior Juan. And uh, I was just taken aback by what I was seeing and just went, oh, my gosh, we've got to get down there. So I right. uh, I emailed Brian, and uh, we spoke a couple of times, and we uh, basically set up the parameters for the trip. And, of course, myself and Richard Shaw went down, uh, Ron Moorhead, uh, Judd Burton, our archaeologist, and uh, uh, Joe Teller, who's a paleontologist, although not, not lettered, but that's what he is, and he's amazing at it, an incredible right. field man. And he's, he did all the, t the casting that we did down there. Uh, what we saw was impetus for or became Watcher 6, um, the hidden cosmic war, the secret cosmic war, and, of course, the book that accompanies it, On the Trail of the Nephilim, which is an oversized book. It's, a, it's 8 by 11, and it's got over 120 full-color photos in it. And the reason why I did that is I wanted to really give people a feel uh, for what, what was down there, what was what they were looking at, what they were seeing. Right. And that was really important to try to convey that as best as possible. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because we, you talk about these elongated skulls, and these are things that we've all seen pictures of, you know, if we, if we really get into it. And, you know, they even make their uh, feature in some recent films and things like that. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you look at these and, you, you know, if you're trying to be reasonable – you know, you you like to believe that they're real and that they're genuine, authentic, elongated skulls. But, you know, if you're not there to see them, you really can't make a good judgment. So that's what you did. You went down there and took a look. Well, we, we did more than took a look. We actually took some hair samples. Uh, wow. We're going back down again um, fairly soon. And when we go back down, this time uh, we'll have two archaeologists with us. Uh, and we'll, hopefully we'll be in conjunction with a Peruvian archaeologist where we'll be able to take extensive DNA samples. We need to do that. We need to have a trail of evidence, um, multiple DNA samples, because we want to really nail this thing down. We right. really want to nail it down. We want to find out what it is we're looking at. Hopefully we'll be able to do uh, or, or release the findings with a peer review paper for those people in the field so they can examine the evidence and, uh, and go from there. We think not only you know do we want to know, but the world needs to know. I mean, if, if it's, if it really is what I think it is, um, the entire Christian community needs to know about this uh, because it, it's, it's life-changing, it's game-changing, it slams Darwinism, and it shows that there's been a deliberate cover-up by the powers that be to hide the truth, not only from the American people, but from the world. Um, I was just in a location last week, not in Peru, but in North Carolina, looking at uh, artifacts and mounds and uh, talking to people, and of course, one the trail's very old because those those areas had been already sort of probed before, and it's uh, it's it's very much sanitized. What I mean by that, it, the information is is pretty much controlled. It's it's difficult to get information about certain certain artifacts or you know what happened to this mound. Or, uh, for instance, I'm trying to find out about the ground penetrating radar test that was done a few a few years ago. And we'll see. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get a copy of that and see what what they looked at this one mound. 
uh, in a place called Nkwasi, we, we found this very interesting artifact that came out of Nkwasi in the 1940 flood, which flooded the entire town of Franklin, North Carolina. Very small figurine, about four to five inches tall. And um, I sent that off to our, our, our two archaeologists without really telling them where it's from. I'm, I don't know whether they're going to listen to this program or not, but um, if they do, then, then I've given it away, but hopefully they won't. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, they'll just look at this artifact and they have to tell me, you know, what they think it might be. So that's, that's sort of interesting. Yeah, but that'll in, be interesting. But in Peru, um, not only the skulls, but in conjunction with the skulls, there's architecture there that just defies anything uh, that archaeologists, you know, let me, put, let me back up. When, when, are you, when you show... When you take an archaeologist to Cusco and show him specifically a place called Saxe Ramon, right outside of Cusco, it's about 12,000 feet above sea level. There are giant megalithic rocks with polygonal sides. Now, you know, if you're a skeptic, well, you know, there's, there's got to be some scientific way to do this. Okay, fine. There is, a, there is science behind it. We get that. But I've learned with skeptics that no matter what you say, if you're dealing with the supernatural, they won't even listen to you, no matter how much proof right. you, you show. I am a frank supernaturalist. I will tip my hand. I believe in the things of, that the Bible talks about, like virgin births, floating axe heads, talking donkeys, two gold coins appearing from the fish's mouth, a staff that's thrown down and becomes a snake, a man who's swallowed by a well and then regurgitated three days later. I mean, these are the kind of stories that we listen to. They're all they all point to the supernatural. And we also know that angelic beings have visited this planet. And I'm not talking ancient aliens and ancient astronauts. I'm talking about the angels of God, both the good and the fallen. We know from Genesis 6, it tells us very specifically that the fallen angels came to earth, the sons of God, B'nai Ha'olohim, came to earth, and they had coitus. They had sex with the women. There's, there's no other way around that. I mean, we can tap dance around that scripture, and, you know, good luck with that. Let me know how that works out for you. But <laughs> the bottom line is, and it didn't only happen once, it happened and also afterwards. The text is extremely clear. And it says, when the sons of God saw the daughters of men and had coitus, went into them, had sex with them. And, you know, there, there's lots of theories going around about, well, there's only one incursion. And I just think that's a very truncated view, an incredibly dangerous view, because what it does is it just it, it puts it puts boundaries on this thing that are that are man-made. There's no boundaries on this thing anywhere in Scripture. I mean, in other words, the burden of proof should be on, this, on the people that are promulgating a theory that somehow there's only one incursion. There's no boundaries there. And it's, in fact, it's exactly the opposite. We read in Scripture that it says, and also afterwards, when the sons of God, the fallen angels, saw the daughters of men and went into them, and also afterwards. Well, if we're talking about Genesis 6, why would also afterward pertain to that time? When also afterward goes right to Numbers 13, 33, the promised land of Levant, um, where we see the Nephilim are in the land. I mean, it's right there. It's, it's, it's glaring. Right. It's screaming at us. Right. And, and the theory that we're working on, and it's a theory. I've been accused of speculating. Well, pardon me, but I, I, I assume that a theory is speculation in, in its pure sense of the word. If you have a theory, you're speculating this could be true. It's based on some of the evidence, and you begin to follow evidence, and at, as we progress, we go where the evidence leads us, and if we're wrong, we say we're wrong. But if we're right, right we say that we're right. Our theory is this, that when Joshua and Caleb went into the Promised Land, the Levant, um, there were about 15 to 20 different tribes of Nephilim in the land. No one disputes that. 
uh, the Zanzamim, the Imams, the, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, all of these are Nephilim tribes. And we find out that some of these Nephilim tribes have different genetic characteristics, which are actually found in our name. For instance, the long necks. So as Joshua and Caleb go in, they're slaughtering everything. And if you don't, if we don't plug in the Nephilim there, then we've got this, this capricious, genocidal, crazy God who wants to slaughter everybody in there and, right. and, and favor one tribe over another. Well, that contract, contradicts scripture where he says, you know, I'm a, I'm a respecter, I'm not a respecter person. In other words, and we know that from the New Testament, God's not a respecter of persons. You know, it reigns on the just and the unjust alike. Talks about that. So all of a sudden, you know, yeah, Israel was chosen. I get that. They are the chosen people. And he deals with them in, in ways that are just incredible. But we're also grafted in the church. I'm sort of skipping around. But getting back, getting back to, the, to the thrust of this, there's a mandate that goes out from this loving God, who's the same yesterday, today, and today, to slaughter everyone in the Levant. Slaughter men, women, children, kill all the animals, burn everything. Well, there's no excuse for that. And there's no other way around that. Oh, they must have been grievous sinners. Are you kidding me? I mean, the junk that's going on today? Come on. What we see, and the text is very clear about it, we see that the Nephilim are there. In right, my book, right. The Cosmic Chess Match, I, I get into this big time and talk about why the, the, the Nephilim are, are there to begin with, because they know that, that Most High God is going to bring the children of Israel into this land. He's got a plan, and that plan centers around Jerusalem. And it is an interesting, you know, right now Jerusalem is a stumbling block to all countries all over the world. The theory is this, that the Nephilim see that they're being slaughtered, and some of them flee northward into Europe. Others get on boats and go across the Atlantic Ocean and land in, in South America, and the rest is history. They begin to set up a shop, as it were, fallen angelic coasts, um, uh, are seen. For instance, we know in Paracas, Peru, there's a legend of the Paracas flying men. I have a, I have a picture of this taken from a textile, which is at least a couple thousand years old. I mean, it's, it's never been tested, but it, it's at least a thousand years old and more likely closer to 2000 years old. And this flying man, uh, as the legend goes, flying around Paracas and he's holding a skull and licking it. Now, that doesn't sound like, you know, Winnie the Pooh bedtime stories <laughs> to me. You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, right. this is about as nasty as you can get. Right. Now, here's a question for you. Okay, so now that we're back in Peru here, and we'll talk specifically about these elongated skulls, and you said you had taken samples to get DNA tests. Now, here's my question is, A, these things are so strange and so unique that they obviously need to be taken a look at, why hasn't anybody else done, or has anybody else done DNA testing, or has anybody else sort of looked into this? And then on top of that, what exactly do you expect to find when looking at a DNA structure? What, is there anything that you can actually take a look at after the test has been done and you can look at the DNA? What will that tell you exactly? Well, let me back up. We took okay. hair samples. We did not take DNA samples yet. Okay. Right. Uh, I did have the DNA tested from the hair. And, and they were not able to extract any DNA from the hair. But we took the DNA, or we took the hair sample that we got from Peru, and we took it to a laboratory and did a test that is known as Raman spectroscopy. And we had four hair samples that we used. Number one was a normal human hair, not dyed. Number two was a human hair that was dyed. 
Number three, the red hair from Paracas. And number four, and it's all going to be on Watchers 8, by the way, and also in Armor Trail Volume 2. The, the fourth hair was a hair that it was uh, taken from a man who was abducted and forced to have sex with a female hybrid. And their hair was almost white, almost transparent looking. So we took all those hairs and put them under Raman spectroscopy. The first hair, the human hair, the arc, and, and Raman spectroscopy is a machine that tells you what the molecular structure looks like and charts it on a graph. Very scientific instrument. So it, 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 the human hair starts off about midway up the graph on the left-hand side, makes a nice little arc and disappears. The human hair that's been dyed starts about the same place but goes straight up um, or, or an arc from left to right and up through the top of the graph. Here's where it got really interesting. The red hair from Paracas, which is at least 2,000 years old, and the white hair from the hybrid creature that this man had sex with, um, the, the slopes, which is how, what, what the, the line looks like on the graph, it's called a slope. The slopes tracked each other. Every little jog, every tittle, every nuance, almost exactly. And, and the, the guy that, that did the test fell out of his chair. It's like, whoa, what is this? That shouldn't be. And what we believe, again, it's a hypothesis. We're not saying for sure because we don't have, you know, we don't have all the evidence. But what it does do is it seems to point a connection between what happened thousands of years ago in antiquity and the abduction phenomenon, which of course is happening in modernity. And I, I, I sum it up this way. There seems to be an outside agency that is experimenting with the human genome. That is, and that fits our hypothesis. So when we go back down there and we get good DNA samples, of, uh, numerous from a variety of samples, what we're expecting more than likely the microchondrial DNA will show human. That's what we think. That's the female side, the mother's side. The microchondrial DNA will show human-based pairs. There may be some oddities in that, which, which we'll, you know, we don't know. But we think that the nuclear DNA won't match anything at all. And they'll, people will just sit there, the DNA guys will just sit there and scratch their heads and go, we have no idea what we're looking at. We've never seen anything like this. It may even have a third strand for all we know. I mean, who we don't know. According to Brian Forrester, no one has done testing on these since 1928. Now, with that in mind, other people have gone down ahead of us, Lloyd Pi for one, and they've done some DNA testing on one of the skulls, and we're not sure which one it is. We're trying to find out. And apparently the mitochondrial DNA had some very, very interesting anomalies to it. Um, and here's the deal with all this. The skeptic will look at the thing and say, oh, it, the evidence wasn't done the right way. I mean, it's just, I already know what it's going to be like. No matter how much information we get. Um, and look, we don't know what the DNA testing will say. I mean, I could be wrong. Oh, it's, guess what? It's, you know, we found a mitochondrial DNA. We found a nuclear DNA. Everything's fine. You know, and it was just all cradle headboarding. But we don't think it is because, uh, again, these skulls, many of them were cradle headboarding. That's when they take material, they, uh, of an inf the, uh, material and they wrap it around an infant's head and they, and they bind the head and um, it, it's, it's bound. And as it grows, it, it shapes the head. Well, we saw that and we got pretty good at telling which ones were which. But right. the ones that were authentic... And let me back up. It also begs the question, why is someone doing this to begin with? Right. Why yeah. is someone binding the heads of their infants? What are they trying to emulate? The ones that we saw that were real 
uh, we believe, uh, of course, only had one parietal plate. And I'm just going to do this real quick for you guys. Sure. But I've got it right here, and I'm on camera, just so you can see uh, what, this, what this looks like. This is the skull that we, um, that we did from Paracas. Okay. Right here. Can you guys see that? Yeah. Okay. There's the skull. It's a female. We, we believe it's a female skull. And, um, oh, did it just freeze? There we go. And here's, here's a side shot of it. Uh, All right. Uh, a normal human skull should have this. And notice the size of the forehead here. And then notice this ridge right there. Very right. strange. So this right. is the frontal plate, and it should have the, um, let me back up. The frontal plate, it should have two parietal plates with a, what's known as a parietal suture, which goes back like this. And then, of course, it has the occipital plate in the rear here. There's right. the occipital plate. What this skull has, as you can now plainly see, it only has one parietal plate on top. One parietal plate. There's no parietal suture which divides the two, which should be two parietal plates here. There's only one one parietal. There's not even a hint of a parietal suture. And right. and and this is what this is what we're after. Um, and we we just found it incredible that that we that we were able to not only look at these skulls but photograph them and uh, and and take casting of them. Uh, next time we down, we're down there, we definitely will uh, take DNA samples. Now, this skull that I showed you, let me just put it back in a folder. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, I'm no professional, but when you take a look at that, uh, you know, I do have an idea of, of the, uh, the skull structure and the fractures and the, the plates you're talking about. And, yeah, that is definitely, for those of you who are not on video chat right now, uh, definitely fascinating. Well, and, and here's the deal. I've shown it to four or five different dentists, all who have looked at the dentition. They believe it is a female between 18 and 25 years old because they're starting to see traces of the wisdom teeth that are coming in. So the skeptics have pointed out that, well, the parietal plate should have, it, it, maybe it's an older skull, someone in their 70s or 80s, advanced age, and the parietal suture will close. And we we understand that. I've also shown it to um, at least a half a dozen medical doctors, one forensic anthropologist. The forensic anthropologist who saw it looked at me and said, where did you get this? And that was his first question. The other medical doctors examined it. The one, one man uh, would not come, would, came on the record but wanted to come on anonymous. And this is what you'll find. Everyone's afraid of, 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 of losing tenure, of being called weird or, you know, looking at UFOs or whatever. There's always this whole ridicule. You can't, you can't speak the truth from this country anymore without right. the ridicule. It's just incredible. And a perfect example, this is the doctor who wrote um, uh, his, his, his opinion of what the skull looked like. He just he says point blank. Um, you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that this was human. That's the whole point. So what's interesting, too, is that the Paracas people show up about 3,000 years ago in Paracas, uh, Peru, on the coast, west coast of Peru, which fits the timeline of a conquest of Canaan. It, it's not exact, but it's pretty doggone close. In other words, if, if they flee, if, if the conquest of Canaan was about 3,500 years ago, these people had time to move and migrate. And that's our whole theory. And, you know, that, that, that data 3,000 years is really plus or minus 500 years. So, you know, even if, it, even if, it's, if we find out 
from carbon dating, which is sort of un unreliable. But even if we find out from carbon dating that it's like 32 or 300 years, uh, 3,200, 3,300 years back, whatever, that still puts it right in that timeline of um, uh, of the conquest of, of Canaan. I remember talking to Brian Forrester about this, and he told me that that um, they they did have the um, or the skulls tested, one of the skulls tested, they carbon dated it, and apparently it came back around a little over 3,000 years. And Brian was shocked. He said, well, we were figuring 10 to 12,000. I said, no, Brian, this fits our timeline perfectly. You know, I, I was expecting about between 3,000 and 3,500 years, somewhere in that window of time where these people came across and set up shop there. What's interesting is the northern counterparts which, again, we believe are Nephilim tribes, arrive uh, in North Ohio, let's say, right around the same time, about 3,000, 3,500 years ago. And they create these huge edifices known as the Serpent Mound, the Circle Mound, the Octagon Mound, uh, many of the other mounds, <coughs> excuse me, found throughout the Midwest. And, um, I've, I've, you know, look, I, I am on the trail on this, like, like you can't believe it's all I do. Right. Um, I, again, I was in North Carolina. I had several meetings. I met with a Native American war chief, which is really incredibly, just incredibly interesting, who told me um, some stories. And, and look, I'm sure I'm not the first white man to hear him, but a couple of them, he told me that you're the first person we've ever told this stuff to. Um, and I was kind of blown away by that. And I was, I was, not only was I taken aback by it, but I was, just overwhelmed that, that they would they would give that information to me. Is that something that you could share? Or? I, I can't yet. I've not been released to share it. Ah, but okay. I will say this. I can say this that that it that it's, it bolsters our whole theory because these guys know what these what these giants were. They know what they were. They fought them. Their oral tradition talks about this, and it's just absolutely fascinating. Uh, and if I am released, of course, it'll all be in in in, in volume two. I mean, that's a great sales pitch. You're saying, well, you know, that's a great <laughs> way to make people buy the book. I get it, but it is true. Um, I I am not at liberty to release this publicly yet until I'm told. Uh, I will say this: that the email I got, which I found very interesting, uh, their tribes talk about the days of fire. And they believe the days of fire are coming. And I'm not sure what that means. But within 24 hours after receiving that email, uh, someone sent me another email. There was no collusion between these two people talking about A.A. Allens, who was a prophet in the 50s, who was called a false prophet because of this prophecy. He had a waking vision on top of the Empire State Building. What he saw shocked him. He saw the entire country of the United States of America under attack and nuclear bombs going off. Days of fire, anyone? The third confirmation to that, which blew me away, this is all last week and just slightly the week before. You may remember that uh, last week there was a picture of the United States, uh, a map of the United States, showing where the Chinese we're going to bomb uh, for us from with nukes from their nuclear submarines. That was released in in into the into the public mainstream uh, by the mainstream media, uh, news stream by the mainstream media last last week. And I was just taken aback. So within a span of less than 48, 72 hours, right around that that time, I had like three days of fire, days of fire. Oh my gosh, the Chinese have a map of the United States and they, where they're going to shoot their nukes. You got to be kidding me. Right. I found that really in incredibly interesting. Let's hope that that doesn't happen. Right. But with that in mind, um, that's why I was told that 
some of these. That, that's why I was told the stories I was told. And um, we're hoping that uh, this particular war chief will be part of our our company. And he's sort of alluded to that he would do that, but we'll we'll see what happens. That right. would just certainly be be wonderful for us if it happened. Yeah. Now you said you said earlier that uh, one of the hair samples that you compared with was a a white hair that was that came from a hybrid that. Uh, a man allegedly was raped by or something. Yeah, he was forced to have sex with her. Right. Now, my question is, are these genetically engineered beings or are they are they just descendants of, you know, the fallen angels and then the Nephilim or what what are they trying to do here? What's what's the what's the end game for the the you know, the dark side? I well, mean, what are they trying to we, do? What yeah. Yeah, and this is where we all leave, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore time. And can I prove it? No, I can't. And, you know, the skeptics look at all this stuff and have a field day with it. But all I know is uh, that after speaking to numerous abductees and, and, and some of these people are just absolutely traumatized, like you can't believe, um, that I believe the phenomenon is real. What's happening, Chuck Missler has weighed in on this, and he states, sort of matter of factly, Satan is outnumbered two to one, and he is, and he's building an army. And it's like the days of Noah, where the Nephilim are back, but it's different. They're, Satan is trying to create man in his own image. He's a copycatter. That's what he does. And he's trying to create mankind in his own image. So there's genetic manipulation constantly going on, has been going on. I think Paracas and other sites are an example of that, uh, a litany, if you, if you will, uh, of this sort of genetic manipulation that has gone on um, for for millennia, literally for millennia. So these hybrid creatures that we see uh, or that we hear reports of, uh, this one looked look more alien than it did a human. What we're getting from those who are, who are contactees is that the hybrids now look and can pass as humans. That's That's what we're hearing. Can I vet right. that? No, I can't. But what's interesting, you know, if a church sits here and talks about God and everything else and looks at all this and will point a, 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 a finger of accusation at me, well, you know, prove that Jesus existed. Well, you know, you really can't. You've got some um, evidence like the Shroud of Turin, but even that is controversial, right? I believe right. the Shroud of Turin is real, but many people in the Christian community do not believe the Shroud of Turin is real. So with that in mind, you say, well, what kind of proof do you have? Well, this is where it gets back into the uh, to the implants. And we have taken, or Dr. Leroy, I should say, has taken, removed 16 implants. And in Watcher 7, we have a man uh, who contacted us, who, had, who claimed he had an implant, and uh, we were probably some of the first people he ever told about his early abduction experiences when he was five years old uh, as he was being taken. And we took him into... Dr. Lear's office, and there we um, sat him down, and we got him an x-ray, and lo and behold, there's the uh, implant, and we showed that in the film, and we did a CAT scan with him, and uh, took the CAT scan back and at Dr. Lear's office, and guess what? There's there's something there. So the next thing we're going to do in conjunction with Jaime Musan, who we also interviewed for Watchers 7, Jaime is a world-renowned UFO investigator, has a two-hour show every every week in Mexico, seen by more than 4 million people. Um, it's, it's, it's the longest-running UFO show. Jaime gave us, in the world, Jaime gave us tons, I mean like terabytes, of UFO footage, and some of that, of course, we show in Watcher 7. Uh, just phenomenal guy, phenomenal stuff. Well, Jaime's going to contribute 
So in Watchers 8, we're going into the um, the operating theater, and we're going to remove this thing, and at the same day, go down to SEAL Lab and look at it under a scanning electron microscope. We're also trying to get an oscilloscope uh, before we take this thing out to see if the, if the uh, frequency that it's giving off uh, has a square wave. Uh, that's a... Uh, if, if it does, then it might point to, again, valid, uh, validate our theory that the, the, the frequency that it's giving out is, in fact, a clock speed. We believe that these uh, chips are, in fact, supercomputers which are changing the host's DNA. They are prototypes of something which is coming. And it, it, they're physical. I've held them in my hand. I've looked at them under a scanning electron microscope. They are the real deal. And these people who are being abducted talk about these chips. Uh, I'll tell you something really weird, and I can't, I can't really get into it because I haven't released it. This is from Jaime Musan. Um, he hasn't released us to divulge this yet, but I'll, I'll just say it in a very nondescript way. We, when we were in Jaime's office, looked at something, and that's all I can tell you about it. And this something. Um, that that day was taken out of Jaime's office and went through an x-ray procedure. And we saw the x-rays from this something. And what was interesting is the x-rays had six implants in this thing. The thing was dead. Wow. But it had, it had six implants, okay? So we know that something's going on with the implants. Um, I had someone that called me over the weekend that's got uh, uh, implants in them. And look, if you're hearing this and you're, you're paranoid about the implants, the first thing you do is you just go get an x-ray and uh, find out if there's anything there. If you think there's one in your arm, fine. Walk in and say, you know, doctor, I, when I was a kid, I had a childhood injury, and I think I got some glass or metal in my arm. It's kind of bugging me. Can we just take a look at it? And, you know, they'll do an x-ray. They're really cheap to do. And if there's anything there, it's going to show up. And guess what? If there's nothing there, you go home free. Now, what if someone actually, you know, is concerned about that, would they know uh, if they had it or not, because I know there's been some, some talks about, well, people are going to get, you know, especially concerning the mark of the beast that people are going to get marked without their knowledge and things like that. But in terms of, let's say, you know, uh, even if the, even though this might not be the, the actual mark of the beast, even though it might be like a prototype, if somebody didn't know that they had some sort of chip in them, do these people usually know, or is there any way we can, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't want to be paranoid, but no, no, no. And this is what's interesting about this. Um, people know that they've been chipped. Okay. And that's why, that's why they call. That's why this guy wants it out. You know, that's why uh, there's a man and a woman that I know. Um, they, they don't know each other, but they both came to me separately. No collusion between them. Really bizarre story. They knew, they, they felt that they had missing time. They felt they had been abducted. Uh, they felt that there was an implant in their forehead. Both of them, not on the same day, but both of them went into the bathroom, took a razor blade, and and cut the thing out themselves. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that's crazy stuff. So, look, something is going on. And, again, we are the people that believe in virgin births, floating axes, talking donkeys, you know, men that walk on water, water that's changed to wine, the deaf see, the blind hear, angels that strike out 185,000 Syrians, angels that fly over and, and, and kill the firstborn of the Egyptians, you know, magicians that do plagues, Moses' staff that becomes a serpent. I mean, 
Come on. I mean, this, these are everything I just mentioned is absolutely supernatural stuff, everything. So right. why is it? Why is it that we have this truncated view with the enemy when in Second Thessalonians we are warned, in fact, that Satan will come with all signs and lying wonders? Well, what we're looking at this stuff, these are lying wonders. These are false signs. It's here. You know, it, it's, it's already manifesting. And that's what the church and, and the skeptics don't understand. And, and then, of course, then you get a colleague of mine, Doug Woodward, and I were talking about this and sort of twirling about it. And, and I've, I've dealt with this not nearly as much as, as Russ Dizdar have and other people who are in the deliverance ministry. But, you know, you get someone that's got a familiar spirit in them or on them or that's possessed. I don't mean totally possessed, but possessed, okay? And uh, it, it gets things get very interesting very quickly. And that will certainly make a believer out of pretty much any skeptic. And in fact, a skeptic wouldn't know what to do with it. Uh, you know, go, go, to, go to a psychiatrist and get some meds type of thing. Right. Um, you know, and that, that's not going to cut it. And, you know, we deal with some of it behind the scenes, certainly, here um, at what I do. Not a lot of it, but we do get some of it. And uh, depending on what it is, um, sometimes we... Uh, are able to help. Other times, it's we don't have the resources um, and and the ability to help. The people are in other states, and it's it's very difficult. Oftentimes, I can pray over the phone, and if there we work, our protocol is we don't. If if it's a woman, then my wife is with me on the phone. We always go in pairs of of two. That we feel is a biblical mandate. Um, we try to make sure someone is on the other end of the phone with the person that we're um, trying to deliver from uh, a demonic entity or whatever, and uh, we've had good success. But then there are people that don't want the thing to leave, and I really mean that sincerely. There are people that we have tried to get it out of them, and they don't want it out. And there's nothing you can do because they have a legal right to be there. Now, why am I telling you all this, and how does it relate to, to Peru? Well, all that I just told you about a supernatural dynamic. And unless we understand and begin to embrace the supernatural and understand that what the Bible is, in my opinion, you know, the like Bible just means book. What it really is is a guidebook to the supernatural. Uh, I was at the Paradigm Symposium up in uh, Minnesota about three or four weeks ago, and I was speaking to all New Agers. So it was, it was a very, very difficult weekend, very intense weekend, a lot of... Um, a lot of resistance, but that that's another story. Uh, and also some guy wrote a nasty little hit piece on me, but that goes with the territory too. Right. Yeah, you, know, you just got to take it. And that's, that's just how life is. Yeah. But, um, I, you know, I was up there and, and talking about uh, all this to people and, and um, uh, just just what can happen and, and, and the idea of a supernatural. And, you know, it's like, the people up there have a have a conception of who Jesus is or who they think he is. And the moment you mention the J word, the light switch just goes off. People don't even want to listen to it. Right. Uh, but what they don't understand is is that there is this supernatural war that's taking place. And and Yeshua, Jesus, is the most incredible uh, person that's ever ever come on this planet. And he warns us it would be like the days of Noah when he comes back. I mean, why would out of he has got the whole Tanakh to, to point to and he, and he points to that one passage. He goes, it's going to be like the days of Noah, which immediately begs the question, what differentiates the days of Noah? And, of course, it is the presence of the fallen angels. So, you know, I'm, I'm there addressing all these 
a, a total new age crowd and, and, and resistance and stuff. And what, what, what they don't get is that this deception, and the Kirsch doesn't get it either, that when this deception finally comes, it's too late. The skeptics will go, oh my gosh, it's real. Well, that, you know, we've been right. trying to warn you. And, and they'll have their, you know, come to Jesus aha moment at that point. But this thing is so overwhelming. I can't stress it enough. I've, I've never, I haven't seen the future. I have not seen an awaking vision, anything like that. But the Lord is, I felt that the, his, the, the, the Most High God's Spirit, the Spirit of a living God, has impressed upon me through mental images that it is absolutely game-changing, overwhelming. Game-changingly overwhelming. That, that's, that's what it is when they show up. And, you know, in Watcher 7, we, we have a, a clip from the uh, Washington Disclosure hearing several months ago in Washington, D.C., the, 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 uh, the Disclosure Project, it was called, in Washington, D.C. And we've got a shot we were able to use as much as we wanted from that, uh, from that because, again, we interviewed Stephen Bassett, who was the... Um, right. Uh, the the person who put the put the uh, disclosure project on, and we got all the footage. Well, Paul Hellyer, the, I'm sure you guys have seen this, if you know, because I know how you are, and you're, you're you're right up on your research, and I applaud you for that. But Paul Hellyer, the uh, the former defense minister from Canada, uh, on mic in front of you know right. hundreds of people yes. and the panel of senators and everything says UFOs. This is what Paul Hellyer says, UFOs are as real as the airplanes flying overhead. Yeah. You can't say it any clearer than that uh, and, and, and state it more emphatically. And he's not crazy. And they are real. And they are flying overhead. In fact, the there's uh, uh, a statement that I always use, UFOs are real burgeoning and not going away. Well, burgeoning might be an understatement uh, because it's gone from a 1,000 um, a month, which is about six months ago, to over 2,000 now a month, and it's been running about 2,000 for the last three months. 2,000 world sightings worldwide. Wow. 2,000 sightings worldwide. And, and those are the ones reported, right, yeah. Exactly. I know that it seems like there's a, a kind of a breakdown between, you know, because there's some people that say that, you know, some of the UFO phenomenon and stuff, it's just spiritual, it's not physical, but it seems like there is, uh, you know, when you say supernatural, we're talking about right. both, right? It's it's a spiritual aspect, but of course, there's yeah. also a physical uh, side to sure. it. Now, we just did an episode uh, a couple episodes ago, and we speculated about the moon. I mean, all the conspiracies regarding the moon landing, and, and when we talked about unicorns on the moon, we went everywhere. You spoke to Jose Escamilla, who apparently, in Watcher 7, who apparently showed you uh, some footage of what looks like some stuff on the moon. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, there's, there's a crater there called Aristarchus, and uh, Aristarchus, and uh, it seems to be self-illuminating. And there's also uh, an object which he was able to find, which it looks like there's something there that that now it might be a trick of a light. We don't know, but it looks uh, it, it it very suspicious to me. It, it looks like oh my gosh, there's something there. Uh, the fact that that crater illumines itself uh nasa scientists say it just reflects the light but it looks like it's illumining not only not only itself but the surrounding area um there was one of the guys this ties back into the moon thing i forget his name he was on the panel uh a former uh, senator congressman 
at the uh, citizens uh, hearing for disclosure, and he said, uh, "We have." A, he, he sort of blurted out, and you could see he was he was nervous when he said it. He said, "We have a space fleet." Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if yeah, if that's true, then it's like, oh my gosh, and it's like, think about this when the way things work, believe it or not, is they show it, they condition everybody through the cinema because you can reach millions and millions of people through entertainment and they just sit there. Next time you're in a movie theater, I challenge you, audience, to look around you. Just break out of the film for a second and look around. Everyone is absolutely transfixed, hypnotized by what they are seeing. Yeah, They are... They are engulfed in another reality. Well, that's where the information is disseminated. So in Transformers, uh, I, not the last one, I think it's, well, whichever one it is, the one when they where they go to the moon and they find a large ship and this whole deal. Well, how do we know that that's not based in, in reality? Right. And I realized, oh, oh, that's just ridiculous. Well, <laughs> what, you know, fine. Call it what you want. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's that that's not, that that didn't happen. I don't know whether it did happen. I can't vet that, obviously. I just find it really curious that NASA is redacting photographs from right. the lunar surface. Jose is finding stuff. Why does NASA always publish the photographs in black and white when they're not black and white? The moon is not colorless. The moon has this color to it. It does. And uh, we, we talk about that in Watcher 7. So... Look, guys, something's going on. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and especially if we consider, you know, in December, a month uh, from when we're recording this, uh, Richard Branson's taking, you know, a whole flight of people for, you know, a quarter million dollars a seat uh, out into space in his little Virgin Galactic shuttle thing. So, I mean, people are very, I think people's interest in space is, you know, going to be revitalized. And I think it's uh, it's all part of the plan to get people to start, you know, accepting this idea that, hey, we're, we're out in space already and, and that sort of thing. And they wouldn't be doing stuff like that, you know, space tours for the common person, <laughs> even though it costs a quarter of a million. I don't think they'd be doing that unless, you know, there's some infrastructure there that's, that's already placed. Um, a quarter of a million seems cheap to me. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> yeah. Would you do it, LA? Would you go up there for, uh, I mean, if, you know, maybe not a quarter million, but, you know, the, the space, the galactic trip there one of the people he spoke with in in watchers uh seven was also uh, david jacob and you mentioned him earlier um yes. he's done so much research on on this topic what is his uh has he changed at all or or have any new insight as to uh some of his what he's finding out as far as this whole hybrid program well, yeah, he's, um, he's, he, I, look, I asked him point blank, what are your feelings on this thing? He said, despair. Oh. His word, despair. In fact, you know, Watcher 7 has a book called Further Evidence, which has um, a lot of stuff from Dr. David Jacobs um, in it, which is not in the film. Same thing with Chuck Missler, and, you know, that's why we did it, because we took some of the transcripts. and. The interviews with people that that are not in part of Watcher Seven, so it's the the two are meant to sort of go hand in hand, but they're also standalone products. But the wealth of information, but in, in in further evidence, the new book, and of course Watcher Seven, 
It was fascinating for me to talk to Dr. Jacobs because I interviewed him uh, a number of years ago. He was actually on my radio show several times and and felt that we had a rapport. And, you know, when we went in there, he was um, uh, sort of on the mend from, uh, he was taking some medicine, he had some side effects to it, and uh, he had some short-term memory stuff with that. But the day that we were there, he was as sharp as a tack and, and just did a bang-up job, just did a fantastic job with the interview. He looks at the phenomena, and he is in despair for the, through his uh, lives of his children and grandchildren. Um, he thinks that it's in whatever the, wherever they're from, whoever they are. And of course he doesn't embrace a biblical paradigm like we do. Okay. So, you know, it's going to be a different deal. He's, he looks at the future with despair. Um, he thinks that these beings, wherever they are from or whoever they are, whatever they are, um, have nefarious means to a, a, an end that they are just nefarious. And it's, uh, um, it's, it's, it's not good for the human race. Um, and that's, I would concur with him on that. Uh, on the other hand, you get some of the other people, specifically at the Paradigm Research or the Paradigm uh, Symposium where I was, and uh, uh, s- some other places, and, and these people believe that they're our space brothers and they're here to help us, and, and they actually created us, and now at this critical junction in history, uh, the space brothers will be back to usher us into a time of peace, prosperity, and knowledge. Look, I'm not making this stuff up. Right. Uh, this is what the other side of the aisle is promulgating. What was alarming to me is the new season of Ancient Aliens. Um, Stephen, they, were, they did a whole thing on um, uh, Satan. And the bottom line is their take on Satan was, well, you know, he's just not such a bad guy. He's just a little misunderstood. I mean, literally, that, that's, that's and I blogged on this, and of course I got a hit piece on my blog, but that's okay. It, it, you know, it is what it is um, <clears throat> by a skeptic, and this skeptic thinks both, both ancient aliens and L.A. Marzulli are completely bonkers, right? right? But he doesn't understand things of the supernatural. The natural, look, Bible says it real clearly, with all due respect to skeptics out there, but it's true. The natural man does not understand the things of the spirit. Before I was born again 33 years ago, I had no idea the way things worked. And there are protocols in the heavenly realms, and there are protocols here. We are told if something appears to us, we are told to test the spirits. Well, there's not one new ager I've met yet who knows how to test the spirits. And we're, we're instructed in the guidebook of the supernatural, i.e. the Bible, to test the spirits. And there's a very simple litmus test, which you can find out what the heck you're dealing with. It's, it's really simple. I will probably don't have time to get into that tonight, but, but I mean, that's, that's something that's told to us in, in the, in the epistle of John tells us very specifically how to test the spirit. And the, the difference between the Christian and the new ager is, you know, the new ager just accepts everything. Um, the, the, because they have communication or something happens. They, many of them believe, Oh, it's benevolent. It's good. Let's just embrace it. And as Christians, we should be going, Oh my gosh, you know, I don't know. Just because you're an angel of light, you know, show me your credentials. Did Jesus come in the flesh? Of course, that's how you test whether, whether what you're looking at. And if, if it's anything but yes, or if it's a tap dance, then you know that it's, uh, I'll just say the word because it's sort of silly, it's a Decepticon. It's an intruder. It's something that you just want to break from. Right. So, look, we're headed towards some something. It, we're, I believe history is climactic, not cyclical. 
then I believe that we're headed uh, rapidly towards a climax. And this climax, of course, was foretold um, in, in biblical texts thousands of years ago, and it's coming to pass right in front of us. Right. Absolutely. Well, L.A., this has just been a fantastic conversation. I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Hey, thank you, guys. Hey, so if people want to get in touch with you or your uh, your crew or find your uh, movies and your books and things, where can they do so? Right now, lamarzuli.net, lamarzuli.net. Uh, we had a uh, our pre-sale special, which we're taking down tonight because we'll have product delivered tomorrow. We'll be shipping Watcher 7, not the book. Uh, the book won't come for another couple of weeks, but Watcher 7 is done, and we'll be shipping that out. And that's lamarzuli.net, www.lamarzuli.net. There you go. Make sure to check that out uh, daily. I'm, I, you blog a lot, too, so there's a lot of yeah, wealth pretty much every day. Right, exactly. So there you go, folks. L.A. Marzuli. Once again, man, thanks again for coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next time. You got it. So there you have it, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Now, here's a request. You know, I very often talk about iTunes and you guys going on there doing me a personal favor, leaving a review, maybe leaving a rating of uh, any number of stars. And here I am one more time at the end of the show to uh, plead with you. Just, you know, if uh, you like this episode of the podcast, if you're into it, if it was interesting, if you think that Basil and Gons and L.A. Marzulli would make a great superhero trio team, go on to iTunes on your phone or on your iPad or on your desktop and leave us a rating and a review. And uh, there you go. That's one way that you can really support us. And we would be so thankful. Wouldn't we, Gons? Yes. And those of you who have been leaving a message, you guys are awesome. Or not so a message, a review. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had we got a couple of reviews. One from Chesty33 and one from Rutledge something. Yeah, I think you, that's Leo got, over there. Right. You guys are nice. You Thank you. You guys are awesome. And that's also awesome. you guys who are supporting the podcast financially. My, my goodness. You, you guys, guys are so special. Making my making my day over here. And if you're not, you know, that's always a nice way to help out your podcast brethren in the time of the holidays but i guess we can just go into straight some some post episode uh, verbiage verbiage ready go all right well the views and opinions expressed by the authors and guests on this program are not necessarily those held by the hosts of canary cry radio or its community so legal sounding. Yeah. All right, make sure to visit canarycryradio.com for some show notes on this episode. You got some episode archives, forums, and more. Yeah, and you can also contact us by clicking on the contact tab or emailing us directly at canarycryradio at gmail.com. If this episode touched your life, your worldview, or your beating little heart in any way, please consider supporting the show financially. You can do so by visiting canarycryradio.com and clicking on the support tab. There, you can sign up for a small monthly donation. Or if commitment's not your thing, you can leave a one-time donation in any amount. 
Canary Cry Radio is and will always be free, so your support is what keeps us on the air. Make sure to catch the next episode of CanaryCryRadio.com, and until then, think outside the cage. The next episode of CanaryCryRadio.com? Is that, what I is, said? That, is that the name of our show now? Are we dot coming the show? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a marketing thing, right? It's kind of cool. <laughs> so, it's no, I'll, I'll do that. Make sure to catch the next episode of Canary Crime Radio. And until then, you got outside the cage. All right. Well, I got some cherry pie waiting for me inside. There's actually a literal <laughs> cherry pie in there. <laughs> I have been thinking about this entire episode. I kind of had a feeling you were thinking about food. Like, I can kind of sense the vibe. I don't know why. Like, even when you're, like, elongated skulls, I was like, you're thinking about eating something. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, I was so happy. He just wanted to go for the hour because I'm like, that's just about as long as I can make it without going to eat that pie. (laughs) Now I want pie. Dang it. I haven't had a cherry pie in so long. Does it have like the... It's my favorite. Does, he, it, does it have the, the syrupy like goo? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I no, love that. So good. Uh, yeah.